0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pillar of Fire, and I am one of your hosts, Raleigh the Second of America, and today we will be going over Romans chapter nine. Um Tanner and I disagree in our interpretation on this particular chapter, so we wanted to each be able to do an our own episode and present and explain our own view on this chapter to everyone. Um I know he posted in the Facebook uh, explaining a bit more uh, in detail. Anyhow, so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us the gift of this modern world where we're able to make podcasts and listen to podcasts and share with people all over the world. I pray that today as I record, you will give me wisdom and the words to say. I pray that you will fill me with your spirit and guide me and I pray that you will use me to bless others. I thank you for the gift of your word that we are able to draw closer to you through studying it. In Jesus' name, amen. Since it's just me, I'm going to go ahead and do a hymn. Um, I was looking through the back of my hymnal because I have a list of hymns taken from different scriptures. And I figured, well, we're doing Romans chapter 9. I may as well look for a hymn based on Romans chapter 9. And I did find... One. There is one hymn, and it is based on Romans 9 verse 5, and it is called In the Cry In the Cross of Christ I Glory. And it is by Trisha Walker, and it is gorgeous. And I wholeheartedly recommend that you take a listen to it. However, I can't sing it here because it's copyrighted. So instead, I will be singing a hymn that has nothing to do with Romans chapter 9, and that is Alas and Did My Savior Bleed with text by Isaac Watts and music by Hugh Wilson. Scripture today we will be reading Romans chapter 9. Since it's just me, I'll go ahead and read through the whole chapter, all 33 verses of it, and then go back and talk about it. Uh, So this is Romans chapter 9 from the Complete Jewish Bible translated by David H. Stern. I am speaking the truth. As one who belongs to the Messiah, I do not lie. And also bearing witness is my conscience, governed by the Ruach HaKodesh. My grief is so great, the pain in my heart so constant, that I could wish myself actually under God's curse and separated from the Messiah, if it would help my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. They were made God's children. The Shekinah has been with them. The covenants are theirs. Likewise, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises, the patriarchs are theirs. And from them, as far as his physical descent is concerned, came the Messiah, who is over all. Praise be Adonai forever. Amen. But the present condition of Israel does not mean that the word of God has failed. For not everyone from Israel is truly part of Israel. Indeed, not all the descendants are seed of Avraham. Rather, what is to be called your seed will be Yitzchak. In other words, it is not the physical children who are children of God, but the children the promise refers to who are considered seed. For this is what the promise said. At the time set, I will come, and Sarah will have a son. And even more to the point is the case of Vivka, for both her children were conceived in a single act with Yitzchak, her father, and before they were born, before they had done anything at all, either good or bad, so that God's plan might remain a matter of his sovereign choice, not dependent on what they did, but on God, who does his calling. It was said to her, The older will serve the younger. This accords with where it is written, Yaakov I have loved, but Esau I hated. So are we to say it is unjust for God to do this? Heaven forbid! For to Moshe, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will pity whom I will pity. Thus, it doesn't depend on human desires or efforts, but on God, who has mercy. For the Tanakh says to Pharaoh, It is for this very reason that I raised you up, so that in connection with you, I might demonstrate my power, so that my name might be known throughout the world. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants and he hardens whom he wants. But you will say to me, Then why does he still find fault with us? After all, who resists his will? Who are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? What l- Will what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me this way? Or has the potter no right to make from a given lump of clay this pot for honorable use and that one for dishonorable? Now what if God, even though he was quite willing to demonstrate his anger and make known his power... "'patiently put up with people who deserved punishment "'and were ripe for destruction? "'What if he did this in order to make known "'the riches of his glory to those "'who were the objects of his mercy, "'whom he prepared in advance for glory, "'that is, to us, whom he called not only "'from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles? "'As indeed, he says in Hosea, "'Those who are not my people, I will call my people. "'Who who is not loved, I will call loved.' And in the very place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. But Yeshayahu, referring to Israel, cries out, Even if the number of people in Israel is as large as the number of grains of sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For Adonai will fulfill his word on the earth with certainty and without delay. Also, as Yeshayahu said earlier, if Adonai Savot had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We would have resembled Amor. So what are we to say? This, that Gentiles, even though they were not striving for righteousness, have obtained righteousness. But it is a righteousness grounded in trusting. However, Israel, even though they kept pursuing a Torah that offers righteousness, did not reach what the Torah offers. Why? Because they did not pursue righteousness as being grounded in trusting, but as if it were grounded in doing legalistic works, they stumbled over the stone that makes people stumble. As the Tanakh puts it, Look, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will trip them up, but he who rests his trust on it will not be humiliated. So that's the end of the chapter. Um, Firstly, I want to go through and talk about all the references to previous scripture and a couple of Hebrew words, because in this Bible they like to use Hebrew names for people instead of English names. Um, The first thing is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Later is mentioned the Shekinah, Shekinah glory, the presence of God that dwelled in the innermost parts of the temple. And we have Abraham, Abraham, Yitchcock, Isaac, uh, Rivka, Rachel, and Esau, is just Esau, Moshe, Moses, and I think that's all the Hebrew names. And this chapter also references a lot of Old Testament scripture. Um, at the very beginning, in verse 7, uh, it references... Uh, Genesis twenty one twelve, when uh, God is talking to Abraham and he says Isaac will be his child and that through his seed, all the earth will be blessed, which of course is referring to Jesus. Of course, Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau who were twins. Um, and then the, we have this verse that says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will pity whom I pity. That comes from Exodus thirty three nineteen. 19. Uh, later, it's later God's talking to Pharaoh. And that comes from Exodus nineteen sixteen. 16. So uh, that reference is in verse 17. And then we say, "A will, what does form say to him who formed it? Why did you make me this way?" That comes from Isaiah twenty nine verse sixteen and Isaiah forty five nine. Um, then we have passage in Hosea: "Those who will not, my people, I will call my people." That's Hosea two twenty five and Hosea two one. We have. Uh, even if the number of people is as large as the number of grains of sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved from Isaiah ten twenty two to 23. We have, if Adonai Savot had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. That comes from Isaiah 1, 9. And then we have the stone that makes people stumble, and that comes from Isaiah 8, 14. Sh-woo! A lot of references in this chapter. All right, so let's go back through and talk about a couple of things. Firstly, I want to address the first few verses of this chapter when Paul is saying that he longs desperately to help Israel. So most of Paul's letters are written not to Jewish people, but rather to the Goyim, the Gentiles, um, who had joined the Jewish church and Paul did most of his ministry to non-Jewish people. um, But he did this, he says, because he loved Israel. Paul was Jewish. He was a Hebrew's Hebrew, he says. Um, And he knew that apart from non-Jewish people being saved, Jewish people couldn't be saved because God is the God of both the Jews and the nations. And he says that, If the non-Jewish people love the Jewish God, then the Jews will become jealous and zealous for their God and be saved. So he is reaching out to the non-Jewish people because he loves his own people. Uh, That's what he's talking about, that he's mourning over the fact that his own people who were meant to be the children of God have turned away from him. Okay. But the present condition of Israel does not mean that the word of God has failed. The word of God by itself cannot save people and that's not its job. This is something that we've talked about in earlier chapters as well. And Paul's just saying here that Israel was meant to follow God. And if Israel had followed scripture, then Israel would be amazing and Israel would be in a great state and all the people would be good but israel does not follow god and that is why it was not a great place to live always uh so that but that doesn't mean the word of god has failed if israel had been following the word of god then they would have been blessed because god promises that of course that doesn't mean that israel would never have gone through any hardships had they not been following the word of God, but overall God would have blessed them and helped them prosper. And we see that in the times where they are following God, God does make Israel prosper. All right, so let's get into predestination versus free will, which is the thing that Tanner and I uh, disagree on. So since I am doing the first Romans 9 episode, I'm going to go ahead and kind of loosely define both of these terms So, within the church, there is a debate over predestination versus free will, which is essentially a debate on how we are saved. (laughs) If you haven't really heard of this, you might think that sounds kind of silly because it's like, well, it's pretty obvious how you're saved. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you believe him, and then you're saved. That's how it works, right? Well, (laughs) There are a lot of intricacies to that that we see throughout Scripture, and um, Scripture does not go through and explain step by step all of the spiritual ramifications of what exactly happens in salvation here's the list of everything that goes on which means that a lot of these verses are interpreted by righteous christians in different ways um just because we are interpreting scripture in different ways this does not mean that there's more than one truth we all come back to the bible and we all trust scripture as our foundational truth there is only one truth it just means that we th- well it just means we interpret it different ways and sometimes we th- and some of us think the bible means one thing and some of us think the bible means another thing but we are all still trusting in this scripture as a foundational truth we are not supporting any idea of multiple truths um so what is predestination versus free will a predestination is essentially the view that you have no choice in your own salvation that before the foundation of the world God looked through all of humanity and picked the people that are going to be saved that he would call and he chose the people that would accept that call and he called those people and those people are saved and the people he did not choose will not be saved. Um, The free will side, uh, which is kind of an odd name for it, but the free will side essentially says know that you can choose your own salvation. You choose salvation of your own free will. Uh, That doesn't mean that you earned your salvation, it just means that you accept it and Anyone can accept or reject salvation. God does not choose certain people who will accept salvation and choose other people that will reject salvation. Now, I don't think that those who believe in predestination um, say that you have absolutely no free will at all. I think that would be a pretty hard position to take because the Bible does make it pretty clear that we choose to sin for once. So if we choose to sin, that is out of our own free will. And if you just look around in daily life and you look at yourself, it's pretty clear that you decide things for yourself so you have free will in that um so i don't think that those who believe in predestination say that you have absolutely no free will at all and you are a puppet on a string um but we just call the two sides predestination and free will because the free will side focuses on free will in regards to choosing salvation so, um, my view is really that free will and predestination are somewhat compatible. Um, I don't like to use the word predestination because I think it falls more to the quote, predestination side of the debate. But predestination is really based on foreknowledge, which is just the idea that God knows everything. So he will know, he knows what you are going to choose out of your own free will before you choose it. And to us as humans, that doesn't really make sense. If I haven't chosen it yet, and I'm going to choose it out of my own free will, how can God know what I will choose? And so it makes sense. Predestination makes sense if... It fits with God's foreknowledge because we say, well, God chose what you will choose and that's how he knows it. That makes sense. And other verses in Romans, verses in Romans in this chapter, uh, like the clay pot verse where it says that it's just if God chooses to bless some people and curse others and show mercy to some people and not show mercy to others. That's just. Um, And some translations also use the word predestined when talking about um, salvation. And throughout scripture, God refers to calling his people and choosing those whom he will call. So uh, predestination does make a lot of sense. But I would argue that free will and foreknowledge are compatible. And uh, furthermore, I would argue that predestination... This view does not fit with God's character. Um, I have wrestled with this question in the past and I have prayed a lot about it. And when I first heard about predestination, it made a lot of sense to me for the reasons I listed before. Because I had wondered... How can God know everything if it hasn't happened yet and we get to choose what will happen to us? We get to make our own choices. How does that make sense? But it still didn't sit with me because that doesn't fit with God's character. Um, I want to make one thing clear right off the bat. I I have debated this with people in the past, and one person uh, straight up told me, you just believe in free will because you think it's fair and you think predestination is unfair. Well, yes, I do believe that... (laughs) predestination sounds unfair but i also recognize that something not being fair is not a strong argument for it so i want to make it clear that i'm not arguing that free will is correct because it's more fair there's a difference between something being fair and just and just because something is fair doesn't make it true it doesn't make things the way it is so Why do I go more for free will and why do I think that free will and foreknowledge are compatible? Uh, Just to clarify, free will means that every single person has the choice of salvation. They can choose to accept salvation or they can choose to reject it. This does not mean that we earn our own salvation. We do no work. To our own salvation. The only thing that we do. Is choose whether to. Re- reject it or accept it. And. Um, if you had. Done something horrible to a friend. And really betrayed their trust, but they chose to forgive you, and you accepted that forgiveness, it doesn't mean that you earned that forgiveness by any means, and it doesn't mean you did any work towards it. Um, Your friend did all the work for that forgiveness. You just accepted it. It's like that. So we do no work towards our own salvation. Choosing to accept our salvation is not earning it, and choosing to accept our salvation is not doing any book towards that salvation free will basically says that god calls everyone and that everyone can choose to accept that call predestination often focuses on when in scripture says that god calls certain people and so free will just says well god calls everyone it's just that not everyone accepts that call and firstly, this makes sense because it fits with God char- God's character. God is just, and God loves everyone. He loves us dearly. We just had an entire chapter talking about how much God loves us, that no sin, no demon, no angel, no height, no depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. God loves everyone dearly, so why would he not give everyone the chance to be saved if he loves us all equally and of course it is it talks in this chapter about how it is just for god to love everyone and still show mercy to some and not show mercy to others and that might seem unfair but in it is just because god declares it so and god is the one who creates justice (laughs) however i would say that Verses like these are not talking about your salvation, but rather your condition on earth um, that it is just for God to show mercy and give some people a good life and It is just for God to not show mercy and put other people through trials. You think of job it was was it just for God to put job through these trials, even though job had done. Everything right and Job was following God? <laughs> well, of course it was because firstly Job was still a sinner even though he was following after God's will and secondly because God declares what is just. So yes, it is just for God to bless some people here on this earth and to pity and show mercy and to decide not to show mercy and to judge others here on this earth. But I don't think that carries over to showing mercy as in offering salvation to only certain people. Because that is an eternal matter. It's not an earthly matter. It is forever. And I don't believe that according with God's character, he would choose to offer salvation only to some. So... It doesn't fit with God's character to choose to offer some people salvation and choose to reject others entirely. In addition, this chapter talks about um, Israel being God's chosen people and yet not all Jewish people are saved and not all people who are not Jewish are not saved. So if God did predestined people and he only called some people would it would he not call his chosen people Israel and would they not all be saved and would not all those outside of Israel not be saved so that's the first reason why I tend to go with free will and it's because God loves everyone and the scripture says he wants everyone to be saved and so if he wants everyone to be saved, would he not give that chance to everyone? Would he not call everyone's heart to him? If we turn to verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 4, it says, He wants all humanity to be delivered and come to the full knowledge of truth. For God is one and there is but one. One mediator between God and humanity, Yeshua the Messiah, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom on behalf of all, thus providing testimony to God's purpose at just the right time. Go- Jesus did not die only for a select predestined few. He died for all and he wants all to accept his salvation. But he gives us the choice to accept or reject that salvation. He's not forcing us to um, accept that salvation. But he wants us all and that's why he offered himself for all and that is why God calls us all and God gives us all a chance to be saved. And it's up to us if we reject or accept that chance and it doesn't make sense in thinking about predestined for God to choose certain people to be saved well what if those people don't want to be saved what if they reject what if they wanted to reject that salvation would God drag them kicking and screaming into salvation what if some people that God didn't predestined what if they did want to be saved would God reject them And, of course, we, in our imperfect will, it is impossible for us to truly want to be good and for us to want to change because our hearts are corrupted by sin and our fallen nature. But Paul still talks about that we have worrying desires within ourselves. We desire good and evil at the same time. We want to be saved, and yet we want to keep doing our sin, and our internal desires are a mess. So it doesn't so predestination doesn't work because um some people who God didn't predestine might want good um and might want to be saved and would God reject them? No. And furthermore in scripture, throughout scripture, as people talk about being saved It's treated as a choice. Um, When Jesus says that he died for all, he came to the world so that whoever believes will have eternal life. It's a choice. He makes it sound like a choice. And When Paul is talking to the guards and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Paul is treating it as if this is a thing that the guard and his family can choose to do. So throughout scripture, when it talks about salvation, it treats salvation as a choice that you can accept or reject. I'm going to turn to... Uh, Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And it says, um, I'll go ahead and start with verse 14. For the Messiah's love has hold of us because we are convinced that one man died on behalf of all mankind, which implies that all mankind was already dead, and that he died on behalf of all in order that those who live should not live any longer for themselves, but for the one who who on their behalf died, was raised. So Jesus died on behalf of all. He didn't die on behalf of a select few. And finally, I want to address the foreknowledge, because that's where we started, where we said foreknowledge And predestination just makes sense. And I would argue that nothing is ever going to make complete and total sense to us humans because we are not God and we just don't have the capability to understand anything. There are plenty of things in scripture that we accept as true that don't make sense to us here on this earth. The Trinity, we don't understand it, but we trust that it is true because God tells us it's true and i would say that it no it doesn't make sense for us uh, us as humans that god can know what we'll choose before we choose it of our own free will but it's still true and we can accept it because that's what god tells us and we trust him and perhaps when we get to heaven we'll understand it and perhaps not but it is enough for us that God understands it. And I would like to turn to Matthew 19, verses 25 to 26, which is one of my favorite scriptures. It, it is my favorite Bible verse. This is actually a Bible verse that appears several places. It also comes up in Luke one thirty-seven. but here it is. Matthew 19, 25 to 26. the Talmudim heard this, they were utterly amazed. Then who? They asked, can be saved. Yeshua looked at them and said, Humanly, this is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. There it is. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, everything is possible. And even if it doesn't make sense to us. Um Alright, um Another Another point in scripture I want to address is hardening of hearts. Uh, we see back in Exodus where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. That is uh, that is honestly a fairly debated piece of scripture on, all on its own. And why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart against his will? But if we look at that scripture, it actually says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart before God hardens his heart. And after that, Pharaoh hardens his heart and God hardens his heart for the sake of his glory. And Hardening his heart, uh, we take that to mean that God made Pharaoh more stubborn against his own will, but Pharaoh was already making himself more stubborn. So this doesn't really go with predestination because Pharaoh already chose to make himself more stubborn on his own before God stepped in and said, All right, I'm going to harden your heart so that I can show you my glory through these plagues and through Israel. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that God could show his glory. And um, also, I will point out that that one is not on the issue of salvation, really. That is on the issue of obeying God's will or disobeying God's will. And Pharaoh chose to disobey God's will. So God said, All right, you go ahead and keep disobeying my will, and I will keep going with these plagues to show my glory and power. However, that Pharaoh still had the chance to be saved after he let Israel go. Pharaoh could have chosen to continue that because, in the end, Pharaoh did choose to let Israel go after God had shown the extent of his power and glory. Pharaoh chose to let Israel go and he could have kept going with that. After seeing the glory of God, he could have chosen to trust God and he could have asked Moses how to trust God, but he doesn't choose to do that. So that So even though God had hardened Pharaoh's heart, in the end Pharaoh still could have chosen to trust God and to turn away from his sin and turn to God but he doesn't. He chooses to turn back to his sin in the end. So, uh, this whole talk was a bit rambly, I admit, but basically to summarize, um, I would more support the free will side of this debate because I think that it is compatible with God's character because He loves us all and he is just and scripture says that he desires all of us to be saved but he's not going to force any of us to be saved. So God died for all. He calls all of us and he gives all of us the opportunity to be saved and it's up to us to again accept that or reject it and That is why it is important to pray for the salvation of others and to give others the steps to salvation and witness to them and minister to them because they have to choose to be saved. And so, um, yeah, that's essentially the summary of my thoughts on this issue. I've prayed about this a lot. And I hope that this was some food for thought for you, whether or not you agree with me. And there are Christians who agree with me and there are God-honoring Christians who disagree. So uh, thank you for listening. And let's go ahead and pray and close. Dear God, I thank you for the gift of our salvation. I thank you that you love us so much that you were willing to come and die for us i we will never be able to comprehend that love and that sacrifice fully but we thank you for it i pray that you will bless this podcast so that it can reach people i pray that everyone who hears this you will talk to their hearts through my words and i thank you that i have the opportunity to record this in jesus name amen okay um we do have a meme today you can find the meme on our website if you want to look at it. It is one that I made, and it says at the top, we have a picture of pastor, and past, the pastor says, <laughs> What would your church be like if every member were just like you? And then, of course, there's a bunch of me's going crazy. Um, this is based on a sermon I heard when I was a really little kid. Uh, my sister and I, we've never gone to kids' church. We've always stayed with our parents throughout all of church. And when I was, I don't know, like eight, maybe, um, uh, a <laughs> pastor gave a sermon on generosity and at the end he was talking about tithing and he said what would your church be like if every member gave and tithed like you what would your church be like if every member were just like you think about that and i sat there my little eight-year-old self and i thought to myself if every member in this church were just like me we would stop having sunday school and instead we would play hide and seek in the sanctuary Cause we have a huge sanctuary. Of course now I'd be a bit more mature I think and I'd say that if every member of my church were just like me we would sit attentively and listen to the pastor who was just like me and so teaching us all stuff we already knew. <laughs> I'm really getting into this idea of cloning myself and making a whole church out of people exactly like me. That would, that would actually be fun. We would have awesome potlucks if we did that. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> so that's the meme. You can check it out at our website. And you can also check out stuff about the T-shirt giveaway. You can find links to everywhere you can listen to our podcast. And if you want to send comments or questions, um, you can send them to our email. Our email is the Pillow of Fire p o f at gmail That's T-H-E-P-I-L-L-A-R-O-F-F-I-R-E-P-O-F at gmail dot com. and you can look at all stuff on a website at https colon forward slash forward slash the pillar of fire p o f dot wixsite dot com slash website that's https colon forward slash forward slash t h e p i l l a r o f f i r e p o f dot w i x s i t e dot c-o-m forward slash w-e-b-s-i-t-e thank you so much for listening and i will be with you in not next not next episode because that one's just gonna be tanner but in a month